We've gone through one NHL conference already, but now it's time to venture our way towards the wild, wild Western Conference. And if you're in the Central Division, the last thing your team needs is a losing streak. Can Nashville finally get over the hump? How will the Stars and Avs do after a year of progress? Will the Blues have a good chance to repeat as Stanley Cup champions? And after a tough offseason, what will the Jets and Wild have in store for us? Plus, we get more RFA signings, including one that we didn't see coming from the Ottawa Senators. Episode 185 of the Lace Em Up podcast starts right now. And now, it's time to Lace Em Up. Here's Brett and Steve. And welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Steve Ellsworth. I'm Brett Duboff. Before we go any further, as always, we're going to delve into the Hockey Hall of Fame book of trivia. Brett, are you ready for this week's question? I am, yes. All right. Question 70 is as follows, and it involves goalies, my favorite topic. Who is the only NHL goalie inducted into the Hockey Hall of Fame as a builder? Is it A, George Hainsworth, B, Emil Francis, C, Patrick Waugh, or D, Harry Lumley? Um, I know it's not Patrick Waugh because he would get in on his own merits. Um, I don't know. I'm going to go with D, Patrick Lindley. Harry Lumley is your answer? Harry Lumley, yeah. Okay. Uh correct answer was b emil francis okay it was only because um, I, I i had i was it was a three of four guess on that on that account on that account i had no idea yeah so here's why he was inducted as a builder um he had a career gaa in the nhl 3.76 which which i guess back then you know like you know there wasn't a lot of protection on the face and whatnot um he played from 1946 to 1952 but here's where his contribution was really felt. Um, He took a first baseman's mitt and sewed on a protective cuff. And in 1947-48, his hybrid creation became hockey's first trapper. Wow. So he created the first trapper in the NHL. So that was his impact. A lot of uh, Hall of Fame questions recently. I feel like every week it's in a Hall of Fame. It is the Hall of Fame book of trivia after all. Right. Oh, oh, I see. I thought, like, they do some that aren't Hall of Fame questions. But, okay. I guess that makes sense. <laughs> that is the book, yeah. Um, all right, let's get into this. Um, it's funny, we, we do have seven teams to go over this week, but um, I imagine this will still go over two hours or around two hours still. Because all, all seven of these teams, like, I could see maybe not minnesota but i could see six of these teams make the playoffs um like they all have a reasonable shot of making the playoffs um and they all like and i could also see six of all six of those teams miss the playoffs as well um so like that just shows you how um tight this this division is and how good this division is um, just because there are a lot of good teams in this uh, in the central. Um, so we're first gonna start off uh, like we did the last couple times uh, with the alphabetical team alphabetical 
we're going alphabetical order uh, by the city name. So that would leave us with Chicago, the Chicago Blackhawks going first. Um, they made the most moves out of any of these teams in the Central because uh, they added a lot of players. Um, I don't know if it means it will work or not, but uh, they added uh, Robin Leonard, which was their big one. Uh, they also mm -hmm. improved, quote unquote, improved their blue line with Oli Mata, Calvin DeHaan, um, they also, and Calvin DeHaan, I think they add, didn't they add another one? I guess they didn't. Uh, and then um, Andrew Shaw is coming back into the fold. Um, and then they made uh, a couple of minor trades with Buffalo and Ottawa, where they ended up getting Zach Smith and Alex Nylander. Um, and then in terms of players that they subtracted, um, Artem Anisimov is the big one. Um, although he kind of dwindled towards the end of his time in Chicago. Uh, Henry Yokiaru, uh, which we talked about um, at length a couple weeks ago, a couple months ago even. Uh, Hen uh, Dominic Cahoon, who's in Pittsburgh, and Cam Ward, which I, don't, I think he may have retired. Um, retired, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Chicago should be an interesting team. I feel like they, um, they may actually... Like, they may be a surprise team because they do have, um, you know, they do, of course, have Patrick Kane, who was one of their better, you know, he's one of the best players in the league. Um, uh, and he had, like, uh, I think he had, like, 94 points. Is that right? Oh, no, 110 points uh, last year. Jonathan Taze had a breakout year last year with, uh, or, like, he, a bounce-back year. I should say, with 81 points. Then we got like a resurgence or um, a breakout year from Alex Debrinkat. Um, Eric Gustafson did well. Um, who knows if he can continue. And uh, Dylan Strom is also kind of in a similar way as well. Um, and that's also why they felt like they could get rid of a guy like Artem Anisimov because they have Dylan Strom in, um, in the fold. Um, However, I'm not sure, um, and now that they add a guy like Robin Leonard, um, we'll see how he does uh, without Mitch Korn, um, and uh, it's more of like a prove-it year for him, I guess, um, because he had a, you know, a career year last year, but um, yeah, I, I think the, the Blackhawks will be a good team, actually. Um, or like a surprising team and they may um, I have them going fifth um, in the division but I could actually see them make the playoffs as like a wild card team um, if the, if all goes right for them yeah I guess it all depends on how the rest of the division shakes up yeah, and how the course. wild card rate shakes up um, in theory they added quite a fair bit of depth especially on defense i don't think it was anywhere near good enough last year and adding guys like olimata and calvin dehan will help how much i yep. don't know but i definitely think it helps um the the Nealander thing it's it's interesting about that because he, he does have a, a fair bit of upside to his game still but um i almost think yoki haru could have probably served them better um than, than Neil yep. could like they already have Dylan Strome they don't need Dylan Strome 2.0 right because if Dylan Strome continues 
to play the way he is and to bring it continues to play the way he is they'll be fine um and like like you you, you take a look at a lot of their offensive stats um andrew shaw and, and zach smith i don't expect too much from them i expect them to bring a bit of secondary scoring yep. mostly grit i think they're there to kind of get under the other team's skin that's their job and and both of them have been a part of heated divisional battles um in, in the atlantic division for for a couple of years so both of them uh kind of know what to expect out of these division rivalries and there are yeah. a lot of good rivalries in the central right now um but you look at a lot of the assets that they they didn't acquire assets that have been there for a couple of years now um and they had really strong seasons you mentioned patrick kane he was one of three guys in the nhl with over 60 assists last year that also got 40 plus goals the other two being nikita kucherov and Connor mcdavid who you could argue are the cream of the crop in the nhl right now yeah. he also had 30 341 shots and averaged over 22 minutes per game which for a forward over 22 minutes per game average is a lot that is an awful lot for a forward and yeah. the fact that he did that at the age of 30 it's very impressive um when you, you you're right about Taves, there was a resurgent year. How he's going to follow that up is going to be interesting. Um, I think Stroman to Brinkett are going to have to have big years because I don't feel confident that Brandon Saad can kind of be that solid secondary scorer. I I think you know like forty to forty five points, maybe fifty mm -hmm. at best. But they really need Stroman to Brinkett chipping in, or else uh, if they're just relying on Brandon Saad, it's not nearly going to be good enough. I definitely think to Brinkett isn't going to have a down year. I, I wouldn't be surprised if he even gets 50 goals this year. The kid is just a magician. He's got a wicked shot. And um, at the end of the day, he was a 40-goal scorer last year. Um, Dylan Strome, Patrick Kane, doesn't matter who he plays with. This guy just scores goals. Yep. And he's going to have to be killing it just as much as Patrick Kane is, just as much as Jonathan Taves is. Um, I just don't think with their cap situation and the states of their defense that the Hawks can contend in this division. Like they got over 270 goals last year, but they gave up the second most. The only one who gave up more was Ottawa and they were still slightly above 500 on the year because of their offense, but their defense just wasn't cutting it. Their goaltending wasn't cutting it. Not having Corey Crawford for a full year yeah. certainly didn't help. Um, it's just that when you look at everyone else in this division, it is such, it's just such a dog fight there. Yep. It's, it's a doggy dog world. Um, best defense, best offense, who will win? It's, it, it's just one of those things where it doesn't matter what Chicago does with the limited cap space that they have. I, I don't think it's going to make them good enough to be a playoff team, even if Robin Leonard is just as good as he was last year. Yeah. Even though Duncan Keyes still got 40 points last year, him and Seabrook, their game, it, it's just slowly regressing. And even if Gustafson has a strong year again, um, I don't think it can, it can disguise it. So yeah. for that reason, I am listing the Chicago Blackhawks sixth in the division. Wow. But like I said, Debrinket's going to get 50 goals this year, going to get paid as a result. And 
that is another reason why I think Chicago is also going to hurt because they're going to have to pay Stroman to bring it after this year. Um, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if they do make the playoffs, but a lot has to go right. It's yeah, I can, not, okay. a lot of luck has to be on their side. Yeah, I can see that happening. Um, like just looking at their defense, uh, just before you get to your players to watch, a player to watch, yeah. um, I do want to make a point because I'm just looking at their cap situation. Uh, yeah. Next year, Dylan Strome and DeBrincat have our RFAs next year. I mean, mm-hmm. as well as Perlini and Kajula. But, the, you know, both Strome and DeBrincat are going to be looking at, like, huge pay raises. Um, yeah. And then the interesting thing is, is you have Gustafsson, Leonard, and Crawford, all UFAs next year. Um, and I wonder what the future of uh, Gustafsson is is going to be because it's not like they can really uh, trade. I mean, ideally, you would want to trade a guy like Brent Seabrook or even Duncan Keith just because not they're... Not that contract, though. But, yeah, exactly. I was just getting that. But, um, <laughs> but like, that's not going to happen. So it's kind of like you force your hand. If Even if Eric Gustafson has a great year like he did last year, um, they may... And, like... let. It, uh, like you may just try to trade him um, or like let him go and that also brings me to another point is like if everything goes wrong for the Blackhawks this year uh, like they stay, take a step back this year then Gustafson all of a sudden becomes trade bait because he is going to be a good rental for teams who are going to try to make that playoff push but um, I think since Chica- the, given where Chicago is right now um, they could be a sneaky team, a dark horse team to make the playoffs, but um, but a lot, as you just mentioned, a lot has to go right. Um, and it all depends on if like Dehan and Mata, who have shown potential to be that de- shutdown guy, um, but they both have injury history, so it's like, will they be healthy for a full year? Uh, that's the big question yeah. for them. Um, so so the defense is a big issue. I wonder how they're going to do with Leonard and Crawford. That's going to be another thing, too, to look out for. So who are your players to watch or player to watch? Well, my, well, my player to watch, we talked about him. Let's talk about him some more, Eric Gustafson. Oh, wow. Um, okay. I think he's probably the most interesting case that's going to come out of the NHL this year just because of his breakout year and his cap hit yep. and where he could fall in the Hawks system or – uh, even on another team, um, you have guys like Adam Bjorkvist coming up the depth chart pretty soon. Uh, like we mentioned, Stroman to Brinkett, they're not going to be cheap uh, to resign. What are they yep. going to do with Eric Gustafson if he has another monster campaign, or even if he doesn't? A $2 million cap hit, pending UFA, yep. contract year for him, uh, 17 goals, 43 assists last year, 18 power play points. He had 160 shots. He had 100 hits, 115 block shots. His ice time average went up by just over four minutes compared to his ice time average from 2017-18. He was a point-per-game player in the third quarter of last year. Um, I don't know what they're going to do with Gustafson, but like I said, it's going to be a huge case to watch this offseason. I think when the season really gets going, um, his name is going to be thrown out there almost immediately if he starts off hot because I think the better thing for Chicago to do is 
realize their assets for the short term and for the long term and if trading away the short term assets gets you assets that helps you in the long term get it done because i don't expect the hawks to be a contending team at this rate with or without eric gustafson um they need to figure out if he's gonna fit into their long-term plans and I don't think it's anything of his fault. I yeah. think he's done everything he can to stay on this team. I just don't see it happening when you get guys like Oli Mata with term, when you guys when you get guys like Calvin DeHaan with term, when you're stuck with term contracts like Seabrook and Keith. Um, it appears he has to be the odd man out and yep. affording him. I just don't think it's in their plans. So um, what what they do with him, what his future will look like uh, throughout the entire year, I'm really interested to see how this story unfolds. So my uh, player to watch for the Blackhawks is Eric Gustafson. Yeah, that's a good one. It's funny that we were on the same wavelength, I guess, because mm-hmm. we didn't talk about this beforehand um, in that sense. But yeah, it, I, I agree with you on that, on that front. Um, as well, like, I did notice that like Crawford is it's going to be a UFA next year. So is Leonard. So they could be able to afford all those guys, Strom, Debrinkat, and Gustafson. But um, who knows, really? Because they're all going to want raises um, if they all play well. Um, I, I, I also think one of Crawford and Leonard will be kept and the other will leave. And yeah, I could see I that. I say that because they also have Colin Delia, who is signed True. to a very cap-friendly contract. And he showed signs in the past that he could be a good goalie for yeah. them. So um, it wouldn't surprise me if Corey Crawford also becomes trade bait at the deadline, assuming he's healthy and he's playing well. And assuming Leonard is actually the real deal or is proving exactly. that he, yeah. uh, it can he's just good. Go up, but I think, I think one of those could either be trade bait or just yeah. walk at the end of the year. For sure. But they're not, they're not keeping both beyond this year. I don't think so. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. Um, just given their cap situation. I think they're just killed by... Um, by the Keith and Zebra contract. I mean, the yeah. the Kane and Taves ones are kind of huge as well, but uh, like at least they kind of justify it with their play. Whereas Keith yeah. and Seabrook are, you know, not as good as they used to be. Um, all right, let's go to Colorado here. Um, they also made a lot of moves this year. Um, and they still have to sign one play, one key player. Um, yep. in this uh, um, here. but uh, So they added Nazem Kadri, Andre Burakovsky. Uh, they also, I don't think we talked about this, but they added Valerie Nuchushkin, um and they also signed uh, Junus Donskoy. So they kind of uh, tried to uh, address their situation up, um, with their depth situation. So that, that, with all those moves, which is interesting, just taking guys that could be good or have shown that they've They've been good before, um, but uh, may not be good uh, now. Um, and then, uh, but they subtracted a couple of key players as well. Uh, Tyson Berry being the big one. Um, they also don't have Carl Soderberg or Alex Kerfoot anymore, who were there both. If you discount uh, Landeskog, McKinnon, and Rantanen, uh, Soderberg and Kerfoot were the the highest scorers on the team, and I think Tyson Berry was also decent too. I'd have to look, but um, yeah, that they're an interesting team um, in that sense because uh, for years, or you know, for the last couple of years, I should say, 
you know, they're... Oh, actually, so Tyson Berry had more points than Soderberg and Kerfoot la did last year. But that's still, like, their... Uh, that's basically their depth scoring. Um, and they made up for it by trying to get Kadri, Burakovsky, um, and all those guys. But, yeah, the, uh, the Avalanche, you know, for years, they've been trying to, like, it's always been Landeskog, McKinnon, um, and Rantanen as the three key guys, and then everyone else has been bad. Um, they do have Kale McCarr in the fold, which I'll be curious to see how he does there. Um, and I also, uh, you know, Grubauer is going to have another year in the system. Uh, he was decent last year. He may, uh, he may be, you know, I want to see how consistent he can be this year. Um, he may be, you know, he may be decent as well. Um, but it's, it's, uh, we'll, we'll see how that goes. Um, but the big thing is Miko Rantanen has to be signed. Um, pretty soon. Um, there was reports that, like, a Rantanen is, like, or that the Avalanche don't want Rantanen to be, uh, to make more than Nathan McKinnon, um, which, when you think about it, is absolutely insane, because McKinnon ha has the best contract in the NHL. Um, he's making $6.3 for four more years, which is, you know, and he's arguably the second best player in the league. Um, yeah, I, I don't necessarily think that I buy that argument. I yeah. think they should be careful of what they give right. Rantanen because when McKinnon gets paid in three to four years, he'll probably want right. Nico Rantanen money. Of course, and but like that's it's still like a ridiculous thing to do, as well as the fact that like when McKinnon signed that, it wasn't like you know, the market value was much lower. So, like, he was making top dollar when he signed that contract, and now it just looks silly because he is, like, a really, really good player. So, like, I understand that the best player should be the highest played, paid player, but, like, you're not getting, like, you're not getting Ranton in under $6 million, let alone seven. Uh, so, uh, so that's where it's just, like, Josiah just needs to, like, uh, realize how lucky he is that he got McKinnon in for six million dollars um, instead, and and all that stuff. Um, but anyways, that's that's neither here nor there. Um, I am curious to see how all these Burakovsky, Kadri, Nikushkin, and Donskoy do in Colorado's system because I think that's the weak point for Colorado um, where. They don't have a ton of depth scoring, and I think that's something that's needed if you want to be a ser to be taken seriously in this uh, in this uh, in this league as a you know as a Stanley Cup champion. So um, I, I am curious to see how how each one of them does. Um, also, Kale McCarr is going to be in there, so that that will be curious to see how he does there, um, and then uh, Grubauer is the other question mark in this, um, in this system is, um, you know, Grubauer had a 2.64 GAA and a save percentage of 9.17, which is decent, but, um, you know, he'll probably get more of a, uh, more games to start because Varlamov's no longer on the team. 
Um, oh, that's another one that I forgot to put in there. Volumov is also subtracted. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, kind of kind of easy to kind of overlook Varlamov a little bit. Yeah. Um, given, given how Grubauer emerged late in the season. And For sure. I, I think when I look at the Avalanche as a team, you're right. Their top line responsible for their power play has to be clicking at all times in order for this team to be good, or so it seems anyway. Um, Kale McCarr, you're right. He'll be an interesting case study. Bowen Byron will be joining the party later. I don't think it'll be this year. Yeah. He'll probably need a bit more time to develop. Um, they bring in a lot of good leadership with Eric Johnson still there with Bellamar and Donskoy coming into the fold. Um, Kadri coming into the fold. All of those guys. Um, Belmar with how Vegas ended. Don Scoy with that crushing defeat to St. Louis losing three straight. Um, Kadri with how his first round loss to the Bruins yep. part two ended. Um, all of them are motivated for very different reasons. And all of them are eager to show to everyone that they're here to make this team better and they will make this team better. Um, but I, I think they definitely add something more, and that's depth, which is, like you said, what Colorado was lacking that year, last year at times. Um, but you look at Colorado, once they made it to the playoffs, you could see what potential they really have. Um, they go up against a very potent Flames offense, take care of them in five games. Um, they almost beat a deadly Sharks offense in seven games. Um, that's a good learning experience for this team. And a lot of that roster is back, minus, you know, Kerfoot and Barry. Um, Soderberg. Soderberg, yes. Um, minus minus those guys. They are relatively the same roster. Um, it, they have committed to their head coach for a couple more seasons. Yeah. Um, I think really everyone feels like they just need to go out there, get down to business, and, and pick up some wins. Um, I don't think the people that they lost in the off season is really going to come back to hurt them. Maybe Tyson um, Berry, but yeah. Maybe, maybe Tyson Berry, depending on how well Kale McCarr plays. Right. But um, I think Kadri over Soderberg, I think that's a slight improvement. Um, losing Kerfoot, they can get away with because Tyson Jost and JT Comper and a lot of their young prospects, mm -hmm. I think, could make up for some of that secondary offense that Kerfoot provides. The issues that I have with this team are similar to their issues last year. Um, you look at Philip Grubauer and how well he played in the playoffs. He, he looks solid down the stretch too. But during the season, the tandem of Varlamov and Grubauer didn't look like a goaltending tandem that I would want to be married to. Yep. Um, his current tandem with Pavel Frankuz looks more of the same unless Frankuz turns out to be better than Varlamov. Yep. Um, I also noticed that the Avs as a team are very, very streaky. If you noticed during the start of the year, they look very good. They went through a mid-season slump, which was capped off by a little spat on the bench between McKinnon and uh, the head coach, Jared Bednar. Um, they got past that down the stretch. They were solid in the playoffs. They were solid. They almost made it to the conference finals. Um, it appears that everyone likes the vision for this team. They want to be consistently solid this year. Um, but in order to do that, everyone has to pull their weight at the same time. And I can definitely see Colorado winning the central division, but they need to take that big step together. They need to do that from yeah. beginning, middle, and end. It's definitely possible. 
Realistically, though, I have got the Colorado Avalanche uh, fourth in the Central Division. Oh, all right. I have I actually have them winning the division. Um, like I said, enough. it's possible. It's yeah, possible. Um, yeah, there's. Uh, I I think I I did mention to start things off. They do have a lot of question marks. Uh, if all the guys they got in, like Burakovsky and Kadri specifically, um, if yeah. they can be the depth guys that um, are needed and, you know, or that they have had the potential of showing, um, that would be great. Kale McCarr needs to step up um, in his rookie year, and as well as, like, Grubauer, he needs to be consistent as well. Um, so, but, like, they all have those question marks, Having said that, I still feel like they'll figure them out, or they'll they'll be good enough um, where I feel like they're going to win the division. Um, as for my players to watch, there are a couple of guys that I I've already mentioned in all this stuff. I was going to go with Burakovsky because you know he didn't have a great. He's only had one great year last year, um, uh, a couple of years ago, and we'll see how he does with more. He'll probably get more. Uh, looks this year uh, so we'll see how he does there Kadri the same kind of thing um, when he was when he did get more time before John Tavares joined the Leafs he was dominant but um, now it seems like he's you know he's one of the dirtiest players in the league that's an unbiased Bruins fan here um, and uh, so I want to see if he can clean up his act in that regard but the player I'm going to watch here is with the absence of Tyson Berry, um, I am curious. Uh, like I feel like the reason, the main reason why Colorado made that trade uh, to trade Tyson Berry and Alex Kerfoot and ended up getting um, Nazem Kadri um, and uh, I think a defenseman as well um, is because they have Kale McCarr, um, who's going to come up this year. Uh, he looked great in the playoffs. Uh, he, in in ten games in the playoffs, he had six points. Um, uh, he did. He hasn't played a regular season game in the NHL, which is why I'm I'm unsure how good he's going to be in that in that regard. But uh, when he played for UMass Amherst, he had 49 points in 41 games. Um, he kind of single handedly like put UMass Amherst on the map. I think they made the playoffs as well, although it doesn't say here on the lead prospect. So he was a bit, oh no, they did make the playoffs. I remember they did. Um, so like he was a big reason for that. And I feel like um, he, like how well he does um, is going to, uh, is going to like directly affect how well the Colorado Avalanche does. Because if he is not ready, um, you know, the Colorado Avalanche are going to be in, in, in trouble. But I kind of believe in this kid, and I feel like he's going to be a good player to um, a good defenseman. And he may even end up being better than Tyson Berry um, ever was, really. So, um, so like, he, that's how good he could be. Um, and I, I, I just, um, I, I think highly of him, but... Um, there is a good chance that he's not ready. And then if that happens, I don't know what Colorado's going to do because, I mean, 
Eric Johnson was, is decent, but he gets injured. He's not really an offensive defenseman. Uh, they don't really have any other offensive defensemen in their system. I guess Sam Gerrard, if he counts, but like they don't really have anyone who's like who can be a part of that power play other than Kale McCarr. I mean, I guess maybe they, they call up uh, Bowen Byram if Kale McCarr is not ready, but that's even more risky. So, yeah. so it, that has a situation where if Kale McCarr is not ready, then... Um, Colorado may be in for a huge, like a downgrade of the season. They may not even make the playoffs. I'll, I'll go as, as far as that. So um, it all hinges on Makar and if he's ready. And I believe in him, but it's it's still like he's a 20-year-old um, who may not be ready right away. Yeah, the good, the good news is with Colorado, and this is the thing that people don't realize, they also yeah. have Nikita Zadorov. They also have Kevin Kanan, who they got sure. in that Soderbergh trade. That's they still point. have a fair amount of defensive depth, but you're right. The power play quarterback of that team was Tyson Berry, and that's going to be a tough position to fill. Yeah. Um, if you're hoping that, you know, all of the offensive players can just run the power play, um, as far as forwards go, then you know all the power to you, I guess. But um, it, it would be very helpful if they had a power play quarterback, and I definitely think Kill McCarr will get his chances. So it'll be interesting to see if he performs. I would also like to remember that the last player that really made an impact in the playoffs without playing in a regular season NHL game was Charlie McAvoy, and that chapter has turned out okay for the Bruins. So if the track record holds up, I think Kale McCarr will be fine. Yeah, that's a good point, but you can't always go by that logic, you know? (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) Uh, you don't see it often. Right, right, right. So, I mean, yeah, it is a fair comparison because the same kind of stuff happened, but um, it's, it's still, you know... We'll see how it goes. I I am excited to see how he does, but at the same time, it could it could be a, a disaster uh, for him. Um, we'll yeah. see. Um, Dallas is our next team. They added a couple of players too uh, in terms of depth. Um, they added Joe Pavelski, which was their big one. Corey Perry um, and Andre Sakara, um, and then they subtracted Matt Zuccarello uh, or Zook. Uh, Jason Spezza, um, Mark Mathot as well. I think he retired. Um, and Valerie Nichushkin, who is going to Colorado as well. Um, they ha- they don't, I mean, it's not uh, like Colorado. Uh, they also have an RFA yet to sign, although it's not as big of a deal um, as it's uh, Julius Yanka. Um, he also requested, to, uh, requested a trade. Um, he hasn't lived up to his yeah. hype. I think he was a first-round pick in uh, 2016, yeah. I think. Um, so he does have potential um, still, um, and I, I do believe in him, but I don't think he's used correctly um, in in Dallas. But uh, that's, that's not <laughs> what I want to talk about with Dallas. Um, I think the interesting thing about Dallas is, like Colorado, because they're very similar, um, is they, you know, they've, they've had depth issues for the last couple of while where it's always been Sagan, Ben. They added Radulov a couple um, off-seasons ago. Um, he's made a, a big difference for them too. And now, like, but they don't really have anyone else. Um, but then they add a guy like Joe Pavelski, um, although he is like 33 years old. 
Um, he had a, like 30 goals last year, so I am curious about that. Uh, Corey Perry, um, he, he had a very down year for his standards last year. Um, but, uh, you know, he could, he could be decent this year um, in a new system. They also have like a guy like Rupe Hintz, who was, uh, who was pretty decent last year. Um, for spurts, you know, uh, Giryanov, who knows about him? I'm just looking at their daily face-off lineup here. So they have a couple of guys, but um, like Joe Pavelski and Corey Perry should be the most interesting ones to see um, their depth issues. Yeah, and, and depth is definitely their concern because last year their power play was somehow near the top 10, except they didn't really score a lot of goals. Um, and the CEO made that very well known in December because he felt their two brightest stars weren't shining bright enough, weren't delivering nearly enough, and it was really their depth that was the biggest problem there. Um, but it's it's a it's a night and day difference what the Dallas Stars did. You know they couldn't stop scoring, but they couldn't stop letting pucks in. Uh, before uh, Jim Montgomery arrived, and then Jim Montgomery, a college hockey mind in his own right, never really coached NHL hockey before, kind of turns that team around. Um, all of a sudden, they have one of the stingiest defenses in the league. They don't score a lot, but they keep the puck out certainly a lot better. Uh, Hugh Dobin and Bishop turn into one of the best tandems in the league. And again, on special teams, they were solid on the power play and the penalty kill. They had a top five penalty kill last year. Um, and they were one goal away in double OT from making the conference finals. So, um, like Colorado, they also surprised and they also had a depth, like you said, with Pavelski and Perry and Sakara. And I think the one thing with their depth, um, Corey Perry is kind of like their Nazem Kadri. He disturbs people. He causes a disturbance. He gets in their way. He doesn't make it easy for you to play your game. And um, I think Sakara kind of fills the void that Mark Mathot leaves behind. I think with Mathot, it's more of its body breaking down and um, them just going with a, a different alternative. And that being said, the Dallas Stars still have a lot of questions to answer because you're banking on that goaltending tandem to be as solid as it was. And if you look at the tandem with Bishop, Anderson, and Leonard in Ottawa in a lockout shortened season, they were very, very good. And then that goaltending tandem takes a step back uh, the year later. Um, can they be as good as they were last year? That's a big question. Um, you're banking on Jamie Ben to have a bounce back year and Sagan to take another step up. Is that going to happen? Um, you're banking on Pavelski to and Perry to remain healthy and produce. Is that possible? Um, and are the rest of the depth players like Group A Heinz going to pull their weight? That's also another question. Yeah. Jason Dickinson, Matthias Yammer, those are a few others. Um, overall, I think it's possible for Dallas to be a top three team in this division, perhaps even win the division. Um, definitely when I look at the Jets right now, um, overtaking them is certainly a possibility. Maybe even Nashville, um, if their veterans regress, like... Um, Nashville, you know, they're a good team on paper, but they have a lot of death questions too. Um, but they need the vets to stay healthy and they're going to need to step it up again as a team in order to be in that upper echelon of the central division. So 
you know what? You know what? I'm I'm gonna trust the Dallas Stars. I have faith in what they have, and I'm gonna put them third in the Central. Wow. Um, I actually have them going sixth in the division. Oh. Yeah. You're expecting much regression from this. Guy. I am. Yeah. I mean, it's not that I hate Pavelski or Perry. Even it's more. Um, I mean. I guess I kind of do actually now that I think about it. It's where I feel that way just because I feel like they, um, they're they old and I, I just don't know if they're going to be able to rectify what they once were. Um, and I, I feel like Colorado and Dallas are very similar teams and I have more confidence that Colorado um, with the moves that they made are much better than the moves that Dallas made. Um, but yeah, I, I have them going sixth. Um, which is kind of crazy now that I think about it, but I'll, I'll stick with it. <laughs> uh, so who's your player to watch? Uh, my player to watch, um, a lot of people were watching him last year. He was a finalist for the Calder Trophy, Miro Heiskanen. Yeah, um, I can't one. wait to see what year two brings. Um, I know he played a, more games in the regular season than Klingberg, but still got 182 shots for a rookie. That's very impressive. Uh, 12 goals and 33 points. Uh, just as impressive and he wasn't as productive on the power play compared to Klingberg. Klingberg had actually 12 more points overall and on the power play. So if, if you take away Klingberg's power play points, uh, both him and Heiskanen have the same point total. Um, and in, in the process, uh, Miro had 12 goals. Four of them were game winners. He averaged over 23 minutes per game in the regular season and uh, Klingberg posted better numbers in the postseason, but Heiskanen's time on ice per game in the postseason was over 25 minutes and higher than Klingberg's. So for just one year, he accomplished a lot. He hasn't even scratched the surface of what he's capable of. I think we're really going to start to see more of it this year. And um, you know what? 40 to 50 points, I wouldn't put it past him. I, I think Heiskanen isn't yeah. going to regress that much this year. I think he's going to be good. Yeah, that's like uh, like Kale McCarr. He was also in that 2017 draft. So it's, yeah. um, and they I think they have a lot expected out of him this year. You know, like I think there was a like during the Calder nomination stuff, there was a lot of um, outrage that he wasn't even nominated for a lot of ballots, or that he wasn't the third guy with uh, Pedersen and uh, Hart, but um, or Biddington as well, but. Um, right, yeah, yeah. I, 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 for, I forgot um, that he wasn't even in, in the Calder Trophy. It was Peterson, yeah. Bennington, and... Hart. Uh, oh, it was... Yeah, okay. So, I, either way, Heiskanen wasn't in there. Yeah. But um, I, you could definitely make a case that he should have been. He yes, was, for sure. He was that good. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, let's go to Minnesota here. Um, they added Matt Zuccarello and Ryan Hartman. Uh, they didn't really subtract anyone, I guess, other than Paul Fenton. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, it's it's still because of Paul Fenton and the moves that he made during last season where he traded uh, Mikhail Granlin for Kevin Fiala. He traded um, Nino Nitterreiter for um, Victor Rask. Um, I mean, he also traded Charlie Coyle for Ryan Donato, which may have been his only smart trade of the three. Um, 
but it's still like um, like you don't trade Mikhail. If you're going to trade Mikhail Granlin, you know you could get you could do better than getting Kevin Fiala back. So um, yeah. there, you know, and Neo Niederreiter is maybe one of the worst trades in uh, recent history, at least. Um, I was going to say in NHL history, but I, I'm just going to say recent history. Um, because I don't want to, I don't think it's like as worse as like the Yashin trade or the Phil Forsberg trade or something or the Sagan trade. Yeah, but, there, there have been worse <laughs> trades, yeah. But it, it's still not a great trade. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's so he kind of set them up, set them back a couple of um seasons, uh, just by those moves entirely. Then he signs uh Matt Zuccarello, um, to like a six year deal. Uh, which is, there's nothing against Zuccarello. He's one of my favorite players, one of the most underrated players. But he's 32 years old, uh, making six million on a team that has Zach Parise um, making seven million, Ryan Suter also making seven million. Um, that's just you know bonkers uh, to to get like another like you would think they would learn their lesson that. Uh, old guys shouldn't be signed for long term, but yet they sign Yeah, and, and Parise and Suter, they still yeah. have six, seven years left on their deals. Yeah. Um, so yeah. so that's um, that's where it goes with them. So they, they're probably in the run, they're probably the only team that's in the running for uh, Alexis Lafreniere in the, in, the, in the conference or in the division, I should say. Um, having mm-hmm. said that, they do have a couple of good prospects that should um, make some noise this year. Uh, Luke Coonan, um, he was he had spurts where he was pretty good last year. Um, he's going to be in the fold. Jordan Greenway, he had the Olympic. He was very good in the Olympics. Same with Ryan Donato. Um, he's going to be good. They added Ryan Hartman. It's not like uh, Matt Zuccarello is that terrible. Same with Kevin Fiala. He, I mean, he's not as good as. Uh, Michael Granlin is, but he's decent. So, like, they could, and Devin Dubnik is one of the better goaltenders in the league. So, I don't know. And they also added, you know, they re signed, we'll get into it in a second, but Jordan, uh, Jared Spurgeon's also signed long term as well. Um, they're going to get Matthew Dumba back. They could make some noise. Um, like, it, like, they could be a sleeper team where I feel like people aren't taking them as seriously but at the same time you know it's it's like a Jekyll and Hyde type situation where I, I'm more leaning to believe that this is going to be a um, a long year for Minnesota fans and Minnesota in the Minnesota wild but um, the, like everything has to go right if they if they want to make even a shot at the playoffs yeah, I think that's a pretty good assessment. I mean, the, the fact of the matter is Minnesota is just in a very tough division yep. where nobody's going to feel sorry for you. A lot of the teams in there are better than they are. A lot of teams have done more to get better this offseason than Minnesota. And Minnesota is basically just relying on their core players to get it done. Look at Ryan Suter. I mean, you talk about how bad his contract is. He averaged 26-42 last year, most out of any NHL skater last year. That's bonkers ice time. And the guy's in his 30s doing that. You bring in a guy like Zuccarello that, like you said, isn't that bad. He's a two-way defender, 
uh, to a Ford that can still put up points. But again, entering the darker side of his 30s, uh, you have a guy like Devin Jumnik that's been a solid goalie for them in seasons past, but he wasn't enough to disguise their flaws and they didn't make the playoffs as a result. They struggled down the stretch. Um, I think a lot of the reason why they were fairly good early on is because Matt Dumba was on such a roll. Like he was on record to probably like a 60 point season last year. Um, and then his year was cut short due to injury. Um, I think it was after a fight to Matt Kachuk. So they can thank the flames for killing their season there. Um, and it seems like after that Dumba injury, Minnesota started to decline. Um, and I, I definitely think they have the talent to possibly clinch a playoff spot. Um, they have guys like Donato and Fiala, Kunin and Greenway, uh, Nico Sturm, who posted solid college numbers too. They got uh, him signed up. He could be a part of their team. Who really knows? But if they're going to do well, the core has to be leading the charge. And I don't know if they can. Um, Spurgeon's going to be entering his 30s once he turns 30, November 29th. So he's 29 now, won't be for much longer. Uh, Zach Parise is already in his 30s. Ryan Suter as well. Zuccarello I just mentioned. Dubnik I just mentioned. Eric Stahl as well. Meku Koivu had a season catch due to injury last year. Same thing with him. Uh, that wear and tear will start to get on a lot of those guys. Yep. You could argue it's already done its fair share on Parise already. So when you have all of that young talent ready to do business and you have all that money tied up to those aging veterans how good of a team are you really going to have in such a tough division how good can this team be in the mighty central division where it seems everyone's in a better position than them um they had a record over 500 by a single game last year and they still finished at last like that's how tough the central was and i think this season could go either one of two ways. It's going to be very painful, or it'll be the same level of mediocrity. I don't expect it to be a good one. The best thing Minnesota can hope for at this point is hope the young players continue to make strides. Maybe Donato gets 60-plus points. Maybe Jordan Greenway takes another step. Like I said, Nico Sturm, maybe he emerges as a top six forward for them or um, a fringe top six, bottom six forward. Uh, whether it's in the AHL, the NHL, however he develops, develop him the right way. Develop your team the right way. That should be Bill Guerin's main priority. Right. And if it takes short-term pain, get it done. Make this team great again, even if they have to suffer. And I think they'll suffer. I think 25 to 30 wins is the best they've got. They go last in the division. Yeah. It's simple. It's not going to be good. I have them going, yeah, last in the division. Um I w however, I do kind of wonder if they'll be like the New York Islanders um, of this year, where like people are counting them out um, already because of their horrid off season, and then um, all of a sudden they are like they're actually one of the better teams. But I, I'm more leaning towards the they're gonna be bad this year. So I have them last in the division as well. Uh, who's your player to watch? Yeah. Uh, I believe you're... Oh, no, it's my, it's my turn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, right. My player to watch. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my player to watch is, uh, surprise, surprise, it's a former Bruin, uh, Ryan Donato. 
Uh, yeah, he, I figured you'd take it. Yeah, yeah, I know. I'm, I'm predictable, I guess. Uh, <laughs> last year, when they made the trade for Charlie Coyle, I was really upset because... Not that I hate Charlie Coyle or anything, but because they let go of a guy like Ryan Donato. He, uh, yeah. he was very good last year uh, for the even for the Bruins uh, a couple of years ago. I just felt like they... Um, the Bruins didn't even let... I mean, I, I can understand it. It's not like, you know... The, it's it's tough to um you know it's not like the bruins have a lot of spots um in the top lines other than i guess the second right wing spot but that's not really where ryan donato is he uh he did play a little bit in uh boston last year but he didn't look as good and i felt like it was just the sense of deployment there but then when he yeah, got the, the yeah. opportunity just wasn't there and yeah. like i was looking at a lot of minnesota highlights where they weren't doing that well down the stretch yeah. but you know like you'd see donato score an ot win i'm yeah. just thinking man minnesota isn't looking good but ryan donato man yeah he's of course something. He's, it, he's looking like a point yeah. per game player with them yeah so like um and even when they sent when they sent him back when he was on the bruins when they sent him down to providence he was like he has like seven goals in 18 games, 12 points overall. That's you know that's pretty good. Um, and and in Minnesota, he's able to flourish on a like on a bad team that you know needs that needs more scoring, like that. So um, you know who knows what Charlie Coyle is going to be this year, but like Ryan Donato is going to see a lot of opportunity there in Minnesota. And he was really good. He was actually pretty decent in Minnesota when he was playing. He had 16 points in 22 games. I think there was a couple of games where he had like a hat trick or like five points where he was just assisting on stuff. So he's going to make me, um, it's not going to be as bad as like when Tyler Sagan's on the stars, but it's going to be pretty bad where I'm, Whenever I see him scoring on the score sheet, I'm just gonna be like, "God damn it, we could have had him on our team." Um, but like, I I have faith that he's going to be pretty good, and especially since I don't know if people talk about this enough, but uh, Ryan Donato was in the uh, the Olympics. Um, he had six points in five games. Do you know who else was in the Olympics for Team USA? Um, and it, and his line mate, Jordan Greenway. Um, and, oh, right, yes. Uh, although Jordan Greenway didn't have as great of a, uh Olympics as Ryan Donato did. But um, I think they, I thought they were on the same line, but they're both, uh, they both were in the Olympics that year too. So that's another like interesting factor there. So uh, yeah, like we mentioned, Minnesota is probably going to be one of the worst teams in the league, but um, if you're going to watch, if you're forced to watch Minnesota, Ryan Donato should be a fun guy to watch. And as a Bruins fan, I'm gonna like it's gonna make me feel very bittersweet watching him play um, in Minnesota, just because it's like, oh, we could have had him, but I'm happy that he's doing well. Um, yeah, it, it's it's weird that that Donato trade. It kind of reminds me a lot about the Tony Amani trade out of the Rangers to. Um, it, it was to the Chicago Blackhawks, and this was the yeah. year the Rangers were the cream of the crop in their league at the time of the trade deadline, and not too many people were expecting them to do much of the trade deadline, and they traded like four or five players right. for veterans to basically gear up for this cup run. And Tony Amani, they traded to the Hawks for 
uh, Mateau and Noonan. Yeah. And Mateau, if you remember correctly, scored that goal against the Devils in double overtime to send the Rangers to the finals, and the Rangers won their first cup since 1940, which everyone was starving for. And that Charlie Coyle trade, while it didn't deliver the Bruins a cup, they came awfully close, and they got a lot of playoff memories out of that run. So it, it was one of those... It was one of those trades where you hated to see as a Bruins fan because you were giving up on a really solid, young, talented player. But for the short term, it ended up working out because they yeah. were that close to winning the cup again. So I, yeah. I guess you kind of take a good with the bad. But I, I, even if they kept Ryan Donato, I don't think he'd be still getting the same amount of opportunities as he would be in Minnesota right now. Yeah, and also don't get me wrong, I do love Charlie Coyle. I think he he was a much needed guy in our team, like especially since at times in the playoffs he was one of our best players. Um, mm-hmm. So I I think in that regard, I think it was worth it. But at the same time, it's just like I I have a feeling like like five years from now we're gonna be like oh we could have had Ryan Donato, um, and instead mm-hmm. we have like. Charlie Coyle may not even be on the team, so um, yeah. so that's that's where it's like, all right, maybe maybe that wasn't the smartest trade, but at the time it makes sense. So that's where I have to yeah. like that's my frame of reference where I have to be like, all right, it makes sense now. But uh, that, that just shows how highly I think of Ryan Donato that I um, I was very upset that he was gone. Um, yeah. Now now we were talking about. Um, the cap hit in Minnesota and oh, yeah. apparently they somehow managed to add to it. Yeah, yeah. I should mention that. I was go- about to mention that. So, Jared Spurgeon signs this week. Um, he's actually a decent player. Um, the thing is, because I think he had, um, when Ryan Dum- when uh, Ryan Dumba, when Matthew Dumba was mm-hmm. uh, injured, uh, Jared Spurgeon kind of stepped up and he actually had 43 points in 82 games, uh, which isn't bad for a defenseman, um, especially considering that some of it wasn't like, you know, when Ryan Dumpo was still playing. Um, but uh, he signs a five, a six year. Uh, it's actually, uh, no, it was, uh, seven year, I think it seven was year. a seven year. Yeah, deal. seven year. Sorry, I'm looking at this now. Seven year. 7.57 annual average value um, and uh, the first four years are a no movement clause the last three are modified no trade um, the thing with him is, is yeah he's a very good defenseman but uh, he uh, but like you're gonna have to sign Matt Dumba in a couple of years um, and he's going to want more than $7.5 million. Ryan Suter still on the books for even, uh, longer than that. So it's like, and also not to mention that Jared Spurgeon's 29 at the current moment. So when he turn, when that contract starts, he's going to be 30 years old. Um, so it's, it's going to be a weird contract for that. So even though Bill Guerin did this, it's like, like yeah, Jared Spurgeon's like a good player. Um, and one of their better players, but it's still a little odd considering that Matthew Dumbo's st- still on their team and he's their better defenseman than Jared Spurgeon is. So, um, and also not to mention that Spurgeon's about to turn 30, which is when that like 
usually when guys start to decline um, in age. So um, in, in skill level, I should say. So it's like, uh, it's, I, I could see in a couple years at the end of the line that this deal is not going to be worth um, what it is now, but he could be very good um, in the meantime. Yeah, I don't question um, what he brings on the ice at all. His defensive zone turnover rate was actually fifth amongst NHL defensemen, which is very, very solid. Um, His outlet pass success rate was 10th best amongst NHL defensemen, top 34 points in NHL defensemen. Um, Jared Spurgeon, like you said, is is a pretty good all-around player. And the one thing that the Minnesota Wild need is a successor for Ryan Suter because at the start of his career, Jared Spurgeon slowly began to emerge as a top four defender. He wasn't a top four defender right away. Um, but um, I, he plays on the opposite side of Suter, so obviously he's not going to physically take his spot. But like right. the, the reason why I say it's successor to Ryan Suter is you look at the amount of minutes that he was logging Ryan Suter. I mentioned almost 27 minutes last year. Doing that in his 30s, don't expect that very often moving forward because if if he continues to log that amount of ice time, it's going to catch up with him in a very big way. And you look at Dumba, I look at Dumba as more of an offensive defenseman. He's the Tory Krug of this group. Whereas Jared Spurgeon... I think down the road is a better all-around defender. He had 38 points in 76 games in 2016-17. He's posted 30-plus points in three straight seasons. This past year, he posted over 40 for the first time in his career. He's averaged over 24 minutes per game in each of the past three seasons. Um, He also is pretty good at the all-around game. He's hit 100-plus shots for five straight years, 100-plus blocks in six straight years. Um, you need a guy that can step up and log some minutes on all sides of the ice and do a little bit of everything. Um, you need a Swiss Army knife in your defensive core. And when Brian Suter can't do that anymore, they need someone to do it. And Jared Spurgeon seems like the perfect guy. The danger, like you said, is the cap. Because when you look at Jared Spurgeon's cap hit, it's going to stay that way pretty much the entire way through the Parise and Suter contracts. Matt Dumba is getting paid $6 million per year. He will need a new contract in four yeah. years. So you will have... When Matt Dumba is due to get paid, you will have Zuccarello still in the books, Spurgeon still in the books, Parise still in the books, Brian Suter still on the books. You're going to have four or five contracts with an upwards of $6 million per year on the books, and you're going to have to try and keep Matt Dumba, who could hit the open market and just get whatever the heck he wants. So that's where it also hurts Minnesota is trying to keep Matt Dumba and trying to keep whatever pieces they have. And that's why... I think Minnesota is better off to do not even a rebuild, but like a retooling um, of sorts, because trying to stay competitive in this division while paying all of those guys is not going to be an easy task for Bill Garrett. So um, it's not whether or not Spurgeon can deliver, it's how they can deliver as a team 
while working around the cap. That's going to be the toughest part. Yeah, I think it, you know, I, I don't think this team will be good this year or next year even, but yeah. Um, but so it's, it's one of those things where you have to start thinking to towards the future and I don't even think it's that smart, even from a rebuilding standpoint. So uh, it, it'll be it'll be interesting to say to say the least. Um, yeah, some, some some might argue that you might be better off trading Spurgeon yeah. for future assets. But, but I, he's going to be impossible to trade now if if he, you know. <laughs> yeah. So it's like uh, I don't know what they're doing then. Uh, all right, let's go to Nashville. I think we're at the one hour mark. Are we? Yeah, we're at the one hour mark. Um, Nashville. <laughs> Um, they added, uh, they didn't really add too many players, except they added what, probably the biggest one other than Panarin in the, in the NHL. Um, I guess Bob Browski is the other one. Okay. The third biggest guy in the, in the, in the NHL. For sure. Top That's five. Awesome. For yeah. sure. Top five get. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Matt Duchesne, uh, they've been looking for a second line. Uh, center for a long time and you could argue that uh, Duchesne is better than Ryan Johansson is as well so uh, they have an improvement in that sense as well Um, they did however they did get rid of PK Subban um, which uh, could hurt them in the the long run of course they have um, Roman Yossi, Ryan Ellis and Matthias Ekholm and as well as who knows what Dante Fabro is going to be, um, so they they could they might be okay even though they let go of someone as good as PK Subban, um, Brian Boyle, um, they also let go or he's still in the UFA, so I don't know. And Wayne Simmons is the other one, um, but um, having said that, I so they did lose a lot of players and they gained one very good player in Duchesne. He could regress a little bit uh this year but like at the same time he was like one of the best players on ottawa when they were really bad um and um like just imagine how good he can be on a pretty good team um so it's um so it'll be interesting i think that's where it all hinges on um i have them being second in the division in nashville um but um but I could very well see them, like maybe miss the playoffs. Uh, you know, it's, they still have to figure out this UC Saros Pekka Rene situation. But up top and on defense, they're pretty solid. So it's more the goaltending situation. But I think they'll figure it out because uh, both of them are pretty good goalies still. Yeah. I mean, people can say whatever they want about P.K. Subban leaving Nashville and how it might affect the Preds. It won't. They'll be fine. Like, a part of the reason why Subban was still in the first place is because they could afford to trade P.K. Subban. Uh, Look at Roman Yossi. Like, I've said once, I'll say again, probably the most underrated defenseman in the league right now. Um, Could easily be a top-five defenseman. I would argue that he is. Uh, You have Ryan Ellis committed long-term. You have Matias Akom was underrated in his own right, delivering solid play at a bargain price. Uh, you have Dante Fabro eager to make his mark, and someone like Jeremy Davies, who could someday do the same. Yep. That's why they could trade P.K. Subban, is because they have a lot of depth on defense. In um, goal, they also have a fair bit of depth, because Pecorine, even though he's in his mid-30s, 
it remains a solid goaltender for his age. He's a pretty solid goalie, and you have a guy with a lot of potential in UC Soros, who has shown at times he can carry the torch when there's a vacancy. Um, I think the biggest concern is offense, and I hearken back to their power play that did absolutely diddly squat in the regular season. 12.9% success rate. I was curious, since 2005-2006, what is the lowest power play percentage from start to finish in a season? And the Preds had the seventh lowest power play percentage in a season since the start of the 05-06 season. They had 47 wins despite that. They had a power play ranked dead last in the league, and they still got 47 wins. So if they can rekindle that offensive magic, especially with the power play, this team can really reach a new level. They definitely have a lot more to give. Uh, The offensive depth is still going to be a question mark because Kyle Turris, I'll I'll give him a bit of slack because he didn't even play 60 games last year but still seven goals for a guy making six million per year is not great it's very very low um granland coming over from minnesota didn't really deliver in the regular season didn't really deliver in the playoffs you have guys like craig smith and colton sissons that can make this team a bigger threat if they benefit offensively um i think the preds are going to be better um I'm also expecting the usual suspects to be consistent because um, Vic Robertson, uh, consistent three goal scorer as they come. Philip Forsberg, not as consistent. There have been times where he starts off slow, but then midseason he really picks it up and starts scoring goals in bunches. Ryan Johansson's kind of the same thing. At times he started off slow, but then he's picked it up a little bit. Um, I think they'll remain Central Division champions if everyone plays solid team defense and when called upon puts the puck in the net Um, because many people might forget they barely won the title last year. They almost got beat out by St. Louis and Winnipeg on the final day of the regular season. They could have finished as low as third in the Central. Um, But they ended up winning the division. They go into first round, face a good Dallas team, get exposed, and they're out in six games and their season's over. So... It, it just goes to show you if everyone's not contributing, the Predators are a very beatable team. Despite that, I think on paper they're still good enough to make the playoffs, and I still think they're good enough to win the division, so I have them first. Okay. Yeah, I I'm, I wouldn't be surprised if they win the division um, this year as well. Um, who is your player to watch? Mikhail Granlund, Mikhail Granlund, well. and Mikhail Granlund. Um I would argue more important to this offense than Matt Duchesne. Uh, In 16 games with the Preds, I talked about not the best start. Only 29 shots on goal, scored just once. Um, Even then, overall in the season, he was four shy of matching his career high 193 shots from 2017-18. In 2016-17, he had 26 goals on 177 shots. He's shown that he can produce with the extra man, which is what Nashville needs. They need guys that can produce on the power play, guys like Duchesne, uh, guys like Johansson, like Roman Yossi. Um, Mikhail Granlund adds secondary scoring on the power play, so that's awesome. And in the two seasons before last, he inched closer to 75 points. He had 67 and 69 point seasons um, before this past year. So if he gets going, the Preds are 
going to be that much tougher to beat. But Mikael Granlund needs to be on this game for the Preds to reach that next level. Yeah, that's a good one. I thought you were going to go with Dante Fabro, because um, he ha- is in a similar situation to Kale McCarr. Um, after, like, I guess a big reason why they felt like the uh, Predators could trade PK Subban was because they have Dante Fabro in the system. He looked good in the playoffs, although he only had one assist in uh, six playoff games. Um, he had one goal in four regular season games for Nashville. But he also like had 33 points in 38 games for Boston University, as well as in the World Cup, he had three points in nine games for the uh, for Team Canada. So uh, I um as I I my my college team is BU. So I I've watched this guy mm-hmm. play for a while. Um, he's go- he's going to be pretty good. I I feel like. Um, but uh, so I I am curious to see how, if how. He's obviously not going to fill P.K. Subban's roles, shoes. I don't think a lot of players can, but um, I think he'll he'll be better than people expect him to be. Um, yeah, the the thing the thing the thing with the Fabro and I and I like Dante Fabro. I, yeah. I think he's going to have to be a, a big important piece of the Preds too. The thing with Mikhail Granlund is it's also a contract year for him. Oh, yeah. He's going to be UFA after this year. That's the Preds too. are going to have to re-sign Roman Yossi at some point. I expect them that they are going to make that happen. They'd be silly not to. Right. Um. So. It'll be interesting what his future is beyond this year with the Predators that the Preds can afford to keep him if right. he'll get higher value somewhere else. And I think a lot of that hinges on what he does this year. So that's another reason why I chose Mikhail Granlin because it's a big year for him, oh, not yeah. just the team. For sure. I, I didn't mean to say like that There, um, <laughs> there's only, uh, um, you know, like he's a good option as well. I, I was just mentioning yeah. that I feel like um, if if I if I was chosen, I would have chosen Fabro. Um, yeah, Fabro was definitely up there in my mind. Yeah. But I when I look at the Preds, I don't think defense is the problem. It's depth at offense and yeah. depth on the power play as well. And Granlin needs to be a force out there providing both in yeah. order for this team to really be as good as they can be. Fabro, if he can get forty points, say all the power to him. Yeah. But that's not where they need offense. They need offense from their depth guys. For sure, and also like. I was just looking here that although we were all remarking on the Fiala for Grantland trade, uh, he only had five points in 16 games for Nashville last year. Yeah, like I said, not great. So it's like it may not be as bad as we were all making it out to be. Um, All right, let's go to the Stanley Cup champions, uh, unfortunately (laughs) for me, but uh, for everyone else, uh, congrats. Uh, to St. Louis, the St. Louis Blues. Um, the thing with St. Louis is they didn't really add anyone. Of course, they uh, they re-signed Jordan Bennington, which is, which we talked about a couple months ago when it happened. Um, but they didn't really add anyone, and I guess they didn't really need to because if you you know if you win the Stanley Cup, you don't you know you're kind of uh, put on the on a long leash in that sense. Uh, they did, however, they did lose Patrick Maroon, um, and uh, he's gone. But um, yeah, it's, it's this team is kind of all going to be dependent on. Um, I don't think they'll be able to repeat uh, this year, but uh, you know, I think we they definitely underachieved at the first half 
um, last year, um, and we kind of all expected them to be better than they were. And then all of a sudden, they once they got the once they made that goalie switch um, in January, then all of a sudden, Everything changed. Yeah, they they started to uh, they started to pick it up and and get going. And Ryan O'Reilly is like like he had seventy seven points. I think he had like an insane like I think I I don't know if you know offhand, but I think he had like the most points after the lockout after the all-star break or something like that um but uh yeah he was very good and um as well so it's like the blues are gonna it's gonna hinge on their their success is gonna hinge on whether ryan o'reilly uh ryan o'reilly's play and uh jordan Bennington's play because those were the two big factors in um, why the Blues were able to pick it up towards the second half of the season. I I don't think Jordan Bennington's going to be as good as he was, but I don't think he's going to fall off the face of the earth either because um, it's just impossible to sustain his numbers. 927 save percentage or a GAA of 1.89 in 32 games, very good. But... Um, we don't know what he's going to do with a longer period of time. And, and he's the certified starter at this moment. So, um, I, and as well as like, there were certain games in the playoffs where he, he looked off. Um, so, so there is, there's that aspect of it too. So I feel like, um, but having said that, I still think that, the Blues are good enough to uh, make the playoffs, of course, um, and there I have them finishing third in the division. Okay. Yeah, I, I, I think both of us were caught by surprise when St. Louis started off on the wrong foot, although I did say that a lot of their success would hinge on how well Jake Allen was going to be. Yep. On, on how well Jake Allen was going to do, how good he was going to be, and the thought of Jordan Biddington being on that team hadn't even crossed my mind. Right. Um, that's how sudden his surge really was. Um, all I know is that you know they added a solid piece in Ryan O'Reilly. They still had Tarasenko and Braden Shen. They had Petrangelo and Pareko on the back end. They had potential to be good, but a lot of it hinged on their goaltending. And they didn't get the goaltending or the defense, and Mike Yo had to be sacrificed. Craig Berube right. came in, not much really clicked off the start. Um, and you can say how, and you can say how much of an impact Craig Berube was to this team. And um, you know, to their credit, they had a top ten penalty kill and top ten power play when it was all said and done. But off the top of my head, I can't remember where they sat at the time Jordan Bennington came into the picture. And you said there were times in the playoffs where Jordan Bennington looked off his game. And you know what happened? The game after, he had an answer. True. He had an answer. He adapted. He responded. He bounced back. And by the way, the same um, thing happened in the in the regular season, too. I don't think he's lost a back-to-back game. Yeah. I don't yeah. think he's lost the back-to-back games in his career during the regular season. Yep. It happened twice in the playoffs, I believe. But yeah. e- even then, it's it's pretty insane how much Jordan Bennington was able to battle through all that adversity and just just 
rise above it and just really take his team to a place they hadn't been before. And I think just his mental approach um, is enough to avoid a total catastrophe season. I, You're right. I think the numbers he put up last year are so crazy that I don't think they'll be as good as this year. But if he can put up, like, even a GAA of 2.3, a save percentage of 920, and get, like, 30 wins, like, I definitely can see that with Jordan Bennington. I yeah. I think this guy just has the makeup to be a solid goalie in this league for a long time, and it's just about proving it to everybody, just like he proved to everyone last year. If he can handle the playoffs, he can handle the regular season, without a doubt in my mind. Um, and, it, and I think by playing as well as Jordan Bennington did, it allowed everyone to not worry about their jobs too much and just go out and play without fear, just like Carter Hart was able to do at times in Philly, just like Carey Price has done with so many average teams in Montreal, and, and sometimes those average teams were capable of making deep playoff runs because Carey Price was so good, or just even making the yeah. playoffs because Carey Price was just out of this world fantastic. Um, I think the bigger question for the Blues is what's their team identity? Because there have been teams in the past that have displayed good character, their own identity, and then the year after, they just can't follow it up. And um, there, there are a lot of trends that have come and gone where some teams have been able to avoid that lull Others haven't been so lucky. In the OHL this year, the uh, the Ottawa 67s began their first two games of the season with back-to-back wins in the shootout, um, overcoming deficits, displaying that same no-quit mentality they adopted last year, and it almost got them uh, OHL championship. There were two wins shy of that. And that's that appears to be a case where they won't be affected by that lull they still have a lot of that character. Um, But when you look at teams like the Senators in 2016-17, where everything goes their way, and then in a couple of years it comes crashing down, even with the Habs in 92-93 with their unreal run, where they get like 10-11 overtime wins um, in the playoffs in a row. And then in a couple of years, all of a sudden, Patrick Waugh traded to Colorado. So how will the blues follow the year of gloria how are they going to be able to recapture that magic can they recapture that magic or are we about to find out that the blues of the first half of last year is exactly what they were and the second half just happened and it was glorious and it is what it was and it was great to be a part of and it'll never happen again it's going to be a big year for the St. Louis Blues franchise because they have a lot of key free agents coming up. I believe Petrangelo and Pareko are among them, and uh, I think Braden Shen might be in that group as well. So they they have got a lot of things in the works right now, and it's going to be not just a big year for Jordan Bennington, but for his entire team. Um, I don't know if they can repeat. I think... They're definitely a playoff team, and they're going to finish second in the Central. Nice. Yeah, uh, yeah. I have them third here. We'll see. My player to watch, it was actually going to be Robbie Fabry because I feel like this is his make-or-break year. But yeah. 
but um, after after realizing this, like I guess players to watchers really like like it's gonna hinge like the the team's success is gonna hinge on their this person's performance, and it may not be their best player, but it's it's gonna be like a question mark sort of, but it's gonna yeah. be Jordan Bennington here. Um, as yeah. I mentioned before. Um, he has a, he had a 1.89 GAA, a save percentage of 9.27 save percentage, um, and his win loss record in the regular season was incredible. 24 wins, five losses. OTL is one. Um, having said that, he's only played 32 games. So yeah. um, he's and now that he's kind of taken the mantle, or not kind of, he has taken the mantle over from Jake Allen. Um, and he was the difference between the, like the first half and the second half where like all of yeah. a sudden when they started getting good goaltending, then the blues went off. But like it, we talked about this before, um, when he did sign this contract, uh, it's like, is he going to be the next Matt Murray where, you know, after a playoff success before, like, is he going to be like that where he's he's going to put up decent numbers, like maybe like a nine seventeen save percentage or, you know, something like, or like under t- like 2.5 GAA, which is decent. Or is he going to be like Andrew Hammond, um, where just one incredible run and, and that's all, and that's all that he wrote. But, um, at the same time, it's like, you know, the difference is, is that Jordan Bennington had a pretty good season, um, in the AHL, um, yeah, he was unheard of, uh, for the most part. Um, but like, I think if, uh, if the goaltending can work, it's, it's fine. And it's also like a save percentage of a nine thirty with like in 32 games, it's still pretty good. So it's like, um, it may drop off a little bit, but like, he's going to be a pretty good goaltender. It's just, he's one of the, it's just because we haven't seen him in a full season yet that it's tough to know um, if this is for real or if this is just, uh, you know, just a fluke um, season. And I'm betting to believe that it's, it's, he is for real, but just a little bit worse than we think he is. But this is like mm-hmm. probably like the, one of the top 10 big, uh, stories coming into the NHL season is how good it can Bennington recreate um, what he did in the regular season and in the playoffs. Yeah, and I think the bigger difference is going to be people have seen him play. Yeah, people have seen enough of him now to know maybe what his strengths and yep. what his weaknesses are, how to expose him. Yeah, which is why I can see that slight regression. Yep, and I will say just as much as is the case last year. St. Louis will will win or lose with their goaltender. Whoever yep. that is, whether it's Bennington, whether it's Allen, if they're good enough, or St. Louis is going to be fine. Yep. If they're not, they're in trouble. And not to mention, uh, there's like, I I was looking at his postseason stats. Yeah, he won 16 wins. He won the cup. Um, he also lost 10 of them, um, and uh, his save percentage was a 9.14. Um, and his mm-hmm. GA was 2.45. So uh, it's either so he was not great in the postseason. Um, so it's it's really like it, it could very well be that he could 
be like a 915 save percentage guy um, eventually um, if he plays a full season. It's very possible. Um, yeah. Uh, but we'll see. Um, all right, let's go to Winnipeg, which is our last thing. Just funnily enough, because they're probably the most interesting team of the seven that we're going to talk about. Not yeah. not because of what they are on the ice, because they're very good on the ice. However, there's two recent stories that, um, I guess actually I should start with the additions and the subtractions and the yeah. Morrissey extension before we talk about the two big stories that happened this week uh, for, the, for the Winnipeg Jets. But they all of a sudden started to turn into like a soap opera um, in Winnipeg uh, this week. Um, and I think it had to do with Marner finally being signed and Canadian media just being bored with who else should we pick on now that Toronto's kind of figured things out. Um, anyways, uh, they Winnipeg added Neil Pionk this year. Uh, they didn't really add anyone else of note because they're still they still have to sign Patrick Line and Kyle Connor. Um, even though they have a lot of cap space to do that, but they still, you know, it makes sense that they have to figure that stuff out. Uh, they're going to be losing Jacob Truba, Tyler Myers, um, and Ben Chariot. So that's already three defensemen um, of their top four defensemen. And they may end up losing Dustin Bufflin um, because there were reports that he might retire. In fact, the Jets suspended him um, indefinitely until because he, he hasn't reported to training camp um and um if he if he doesn't show up uh by training camp then he'll go um i guess they, they don't he it doesn't count on his cap hit um, yeah let, let, let's yeah. let's be let's be clear for a second this is cap related this isn't any grudges being yeah. hold the jets are supportive of bufflin they're yep. giving him as much time as he needs sure. to figure out what he and, needs to figure out but yeah. they have a job to do as well yeah but like the thing is is like yeah you're right it, of course they're being supportive of him I, did, I didn't mean to like make it into like a business yeah. type thing but i just didn't want yeah. anyone to to get yeah. that confused it's for just sure. like wow they're i guess i guess i could have been clear for sure uh yeah it's like he may retire and if he does it's like yeah you lost jacob truba that's gonna hurt I guess you can you can suffer the loss of Ben Shiriot and Tyler Myers a little bit. Um, you know they have Sammy Nyko, uh, Tucker Pullman. Um, they added Neil Pionk as well, who could be decent. I think they have like um, they have a couple of other players, defensemen in the system, um, who I'm blanking on. Logan Stanley is another one. Um, yeah. But, uh, and Sammy Naiku and uh, Tucker Pullman both looked pretty good in the AHL. Um, so they could make a difference um, in, the, in the term. Jo Joshua Morrissey signed this extension. Uh, but if they lose Dustin Bufflin, um, <laughs> this may be like, this may be the difference from being like a wild card team or a playoff team versus like, maybe a lottery team and not to mention that they probably won't have Patrick Laine or Kyle Connor uh, to start out this year too. So it's like, yeah, the Jets do have a lot of depth and forward group. Yeah, they have Blake Wheeler, they have Mark Shifley uh, um, and, um, and someone else. 
uh, and Nikolai Ehlers. But if you don't, like, but when you get rid of, like, their two best, like, young guys and a big reason why we feel like they do have a lot of depth in Patrick Line and Kyle Connor, which we'll get into in a second, it's kind of like, all right, this team may not end up being that good um, if they don't have them for a while. And then you don't have, like, Dustin Bufflin, who is, like, their life force, um, and Jacob Truba, who they also lost, and they don't have Tyler Myers, who is who's actually decent defensively speaking. It's like this is gonna be uh, <laughs> this is gonna be let's turn into like one of like a like a Stanley Cup contender too, like maybe a lottery team as I just mentioned. So, what is your take on all this stuff that you said? I guess we can we'll talk about the Patrick Line A drama in a second but what's your take on everything else that i just mentioned losing dustin bufflin would drastically change the outlook of the winnipeg jets without a question uh just the way he plays the game wicked shot um one of the hardest hitters in the game today uh doing that into his 30s you know it takes a toll and i understand why you probably want to take the time to just really evaluate um what his next steps are going to be in life and in this game and um i think you could get by without truba but even if you kept and meyer you lost bufflin you're you might be able to get by but if so barely um yeah. bufflin is is the type of guy where if he's not on the ice his presence is missed and they were able to get by because guys like Truba and Morrissey were able to step up while he was out last year and now Truba's gone so that basically puts all the pressure on Josh Morrissey so there's less depth to work with there on defense obviously with the other guys gone where Bufflin's presence is more noticeable because it's going to be tougher to pick up the pieces and get by with him um but even then even if you did have those pieces, your team is still a lot better with Dustin Bufflin, just because you know he's out there on the ice. You know you gotta keep your head up. If you don't have that presence of fear on the ice, um, I think Winnipeg's gonna be a bit more beatable. Yep. I think they're gonna be easier to score on, easier to shut down. I mean, speed, offense, and skill, you know, you'll still get a lot of goals. Yep. And you might win a couple of battles here and there, but are you going to win the war consistently game after game? It's going to be a lot tougher if Buffalo's not there, no question. Yeah, for sure. And uh, you mentioned Josh Morrissey. He signs an extension uh, a couple weeks ago. We just didn't mention it because we were were talking about other things. Uh, It's an eight-year deal, uh, 6.25 million annual average value. uh, a couple, I think, uh, in the years uh, 2022, uh, 2023, and 2024, those are no movement clauses. And then the last three years of his deal are modified no trade clause. Um, this is one of those things where it's like, this was before the Buffalo news happened, but when they lost uh, Jacob Truba um, and Tyler Myers, um, you know, Josh Morrissey was like, this is like, you know, they couldn't afford to lose him. Um, and even though he's going to be an RFA next year, this is just something that you had to take care of. And I know that they still have to deal with Patrick Line and Kyle Connor, but this was one of those things where you couldn't afford to lose Joshua Morrissey because he's by far their best replacement for Jacob Truba right now. I mean, Sammy Naiku and Tyker Pullman could be guys, but, um, Joshua Morrissey 
already has the difference is is Joshua Morrissey already shows what he is capable of doing in the NHL so that's something that you had to make and then this Dustin Bufflin news comes out and announced like even more so that Joshua Morrissey is important to add on their team um yeah yeah the the, the thing with Morrissey is that the the potential to be a Bufflin type player is is definitely there offensively speaking yeah um he had 95 shots 31 points six goals last year um his time on ice average increased almost by two full minutes um it was 2204 last year he only played in 59 games so that was basically a 40 to 50 point season like that was definitely within reach for him and he also does a lot of the little things right he's blocked over 100 shots in each of the first three years including 167 as a second year um, he racked up over 140 hits in both of his first two NHL campaigns. Um, he had 10 power play points last year, only had three, his first two combined. Um, so he's definitely shown um, leaps and bounds improvements as he's gotten more ice time. And even if but Dustin Bufflin does return, I don't think he can log the amount of ice time that he used to. So I think... You're going to see more power play, more shorthanded time for Josh Morrissey with or without Dustin Bufflin, especially without, because yeah. now all of a sudden Josh Morrissey becomes the guy, the guy to lead this Winnipeg defense. And um, I think, especially with the power of hindsight, it was definitely crucial for this to get done. And if you don't think he can be a 40 to 50 point scorer, in 249 WHL games, he had 100. 196 career points and he actually got 28 goals and 73 points in a single season alone in the whl so there's definitely some offensive pop to his game that you haven't seen from josh morrissey and once you see him play a full nhl season i think you'll start to see just how good uh josh morrissey can be for this team and the jets need him to be good with truba gone and potential and potentially buffalo following him yeah for sure and I like this will be like an interesting situation with the Jets is like like last offseason they had a decent defensive depth and now all of a sudden when you take out like their four best defensemen I mean I guess Ben Chiriot isn't as good as Morrissey but uh Jacob Truba um I guess you could make a case Tyler Myers and Morrissey I don't know but when you take out like Bufflin and you take out Jacob Truba now all of a mm-hmm. sudden the Jets are going to be like you know we don't know what's going to happen with this defense um, sure Sammy Naiku could have his moments um, he he looks really good in the AHL same with Tucker Pullman but that's not going to equal that doesn't always equal to NHL success um yeah, especially when you're being thrown into a situation where there's very little insulation around you to begin yep. with, and you're just learning on the fly. Look how for it sure. look how it went uh, for for the Sens when uh, Carlson left. Yep, yeah, that's a good point. Um, all right, and then the le- to add to this drama, Patrick Line uh, talked to a Finnish newspaper um, and uh, reporter, and he said that he. I, I'm not direct quoting, but it's like something like how he wished he was on the top line. 
um, and he feels like the Jets didn't give him a good chance to secede, um, and he was kind of like upset that he's on the second line uh, versus the first line, and he and then uh, Blake Wheeler kind of like backed him up a little bit by saying that like he applauds any player who wants more ice time. That's something that you want in every player. Um, and you know it's not like up to him to like if it was up to him he would give them more playing time but um whatever and then um uh but the bigger thing was that paul maurice said that like he should uh you know if he wants to be on the top line he should play better uh, essentially um, and he's saying like he's not. Yeah, his quote was uh, nobody gets the keys to a car at fourteen. Right, right. He was essentially saying that like line A is being entitled and uh, shouldn't get it. So like I was in, you know, before this when there was all these trade rumors about p- trading Patrick Line, I was like, all right, this probably isn't going to happen, but maybe there's something there. But after this stuff comes out, I'm thinking like. Maybe it does make sense to trade Patrick Laine, um, especially with this defensive situation going on. It, it, like I know it's tough to trade a guy like Patrick Laine, um, especially you know that he's so young and he's one of the best goal scorers already. Um, uh, you know, last season, not notwithstanding, but like still, it's like you know I feel like they could get a. T- big return on Patrick Line and maybe that's what's needed especially if Buffalo retires um as well and not to mention like Patrick Line does have a point it's like if he, he could be I was trying to draw it out where like I was trying to think of other teams that he could be the top line for um and like I could only think of a few teams that he wouldn't be a top line guy on um and you could maybe make a case for a couple of other teams if if line a did, only wanted to be on the right wing um so it's like he does have a point at the same time like connor shifley and wheeler are a pretty good top line at the same time so it's like i i feel like there there is like two points to the coin there it's like if he was getting top line minutes maybe he wouldn't have had as disappointing of a season as he did last year but at the same time maybe his defense isn't up to par and the wheeler shifley connor line is one of their better lines so it's it's just a interesting situation oh and by the way uh, apparently brian little mentioned that uh, patrick line a um and him had a talk and everything settled and line a like apologized that he didn't mean it like Brian Little okay. was like a scrap or whatever, but yeah. um, they're they're good in, in that respect. But um, yeah, so I, this this gets all of a sudden this this gets very interesting because um, if I'm Shovel Day off, I'm not sure what I want, um, what I think of Patrick Line because like on one end it's like yeah he's a big talent, um, but on the other hand it's like he's showing that he's kind of being a little bit of a diva. Um, and he does have a point though. So it's like, I don't know. It's, it's, I could actually see him being traded before the season starts. Yeah. See, 
I look at Patrick Line and I look at the fact that he scored 30 goals even on a down year, but 18 of those came in a 12-game span, which means the rest of the way he got like, what, 10, 12, yep. however many goals. It's not very reassuring, and you're in a team as talented as Winnipeg and as talented a division as the Central. Do you see those kind of struggles with top-line players? Do you see someone get like 18 goals in a 12 game span and then get 12 goals the rest of the way? Yeah. I haven't seen it happen too many times. I mean, uh, Alex Ovechkin has, but yeah, has struggled a little bit early on in his career, but yeah. True. Um, but I think the problem, the difference between Ovechkin and Line A is Washington, I don't think really had other options besides Ovechkin. They sure. had no choice but to ride and die. Winnipeg's yeah. got options to work with. Fair. Yeah. It's not like Patrick Line is the only weapon that they have. Yep. Um, and the end of the day, the end game is to win games. And the end game is what's the most important. And if putting Patrick Line on the third line means you still win games, then you know what? At, at the end of the day, um, I'm sure you'd rather that option than putting Patrick Line on the top line, watch him struggle, and have a losing streak kill your season. Because, like I right. said, this division, there's very little give and take. If you give any kind of gap to anybody, they're going to just eat it up, and you're going to pay the price. And whether Line a stays or goes, the Jets need to have a conversation with everyone. They Everyone needs to look at each other right in the eye and commit. Yep. Because the character of this team is what's going to determine their final fate, not who's going to be on it. Everyone needs to be contributing. Everyone needs to be pulling their weight. Everybody needs to be on page 10, not yeah. page 5. Right. And um, if Flane wants to be a part of that, then great. But like you said, if Buffalo retires and they could get help on defense by trading Line A, Maybe, maybe with all due respect to Patrick Line, maybe that's what has to be done in yeah. order for. The and it's also like a that. team will pay a fortune for a guy like Patrick Line. Yeah, he, um, he won't. He won't come cheap. No. Yeah. Especially at his value. So if if you had to give me a ranking for the Jets, um, I have faith that they could figure it out. But the Central's so tight. Yeah. I'm putting them fifth. Okay. They'll be in a wild card race, but I'm putting them fifth. Yeah, I have them fourth. Um, I still think they they are a good team, but if Bufflin does decide to retire and if Line and Connor do hold out for like let's say until like December, um, yeah, I think they could be at worst uh, sixth. Um, yeah, so. Um, yeah. So it's a little tricky situation because I, I still I still think Winnipeg will be a good team, but um, it, it's they have a lot of question marks. Uh, who is your player to watch? I'm gonna go with Jack Roslevic. Okay. Um, the guy didn't even average 10 minutes per game last year, but still picked up 24 points. So I consider that decent. Uh, he got nine goals on the season, five of which were power play goals. So. Um, he can definitely strike on the special teams. Um, it all depends on where the Jets slot him. Yep. Do they put him as a bottom six face-off guy? Do they try him on the wing on a top six forward group? That will be for Paul Maurice to figure out. But I think if he's put in the right situation, um, I think Jack Roslovich could be a very, very good find for the Winnipeg Jets and uh, 
could make up for the secondary scoring uh, they lose uh, with Connor and Liney out of the picture. Yep. That is indeed the case. So um, Jack Karasovic is my player to watch. Yeah, especially with the Line and Connor holdout. That makes sense. Um, I I also feel like uh, Sammy Naiku has a similar situation to Dante Fabro and uh, Kale McCarr, uh, where he has a lot of opportunity to do well um, as well. So we're we're kind of short for time here. So let's... uh, I don't want to get too into it, but he would have been my guy if uh, for players to watch. Um, yeah. NHLPA, we're going to the rapid fire here. NHLPA agreed to the uh, to the deal that they, you know, that CBA deal, um, and there will be no lockout or strike until 2022. So, hooray! Yeah. Um, I will have hockey <laughs> to, for three years. To kind of rephrase it, they haven't reached a deal. Yep. They just. Both sides, the NHL and the NHLPA, agreed. Let's not opt out. Let's keep it going. Yep. Let's not force a lockout possibility next September. Uh, we'll just ride it out till 21-22. Uh, we'll ride out to 2021-22, see if we can find an extension at that point. Yep. So CBA extension is possible there. But until then, um, the current CBA as is will run for the next three seasons. Yep. That's what's happening. Um, yeah, it's it's exciting news. I don't know the business side of things, but it is kind of cool. Well, we haven't really gotten this far, so neither do I. We're, we're yeah. just expecting a lockout year it's, after It's year. weird, because usually like, I'm so used to, like, okay, I guess there's going to be a lockout, but I, yeah. I guess not not anymore. Um, Brock Besser re-signs uh, three years by, um, and he gets uh, $5.875 million annual average value. This is a pretty this is a pretty good steal if if uh, Brock Besser gets uh, what uh, continues on to his pace. I think this is a kind of like a Charlie McAvoy situation because Brock Besser couldn't be offer sheeted, so he had less leverage to deal with. But um, but this is a pretty good. Uh, I like this contract for the Canucks, um, and it also like. Bo Horvath's making $5.5 million. It's going to make it easier for um, when Elias Pettersson is going to be an RFA in a couple of years, and Quinn Hughes as well, So um, and Thatcher Denko. So it's 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 good that they have like Brock Besser and Bo Horvath locked up, and then they can worry about EP um, and uh, Quinn Hughes in a couple of years. Yeah, and um, both of those guys will need uh, new contracts in, I think, two years' time. So like the that, fact yeah. that Pastors extends to three is is going to be better. The, also, what helps out is that uh, the Erickson, Beagle, and Roussel contracts and the longer recapture penalty will all be off the books by the time Besser needs a new deal. So uh, that'll definitely help uh, keep the band together. Offensively speaking, there's a lot of upside that we haven't seen from Besser, and he's shown quite a bit of it already um he had 55 points in his rookie year one goal shy of 30 179 shots um he averaged almost three minutes of power play time per game so already he was getting used to the swing of things uh on special teams only played in 62 games due to injury so he could have had 73 points if he was uh fully healthy um his power play time per game in his second year was 332 so um it went up by 37 seconds his average ice time per game 
uh, was at 19.10. So that was almost a two-minute jump. It was actually a minute 40. Um, ends up scoring three fewer goals than his rookie year, but still got 26 goals, one more point than the previous year. Uh, and in, he also finished with 209 shots, which is pretty solid for a sophomore campaign too. Um, I think I think Brock Besser is the scorer and Peterson is the setup man. And we saw it a lot last year where Peterson would set up Besser. There was this game early on against Colorado where Peterson just dumped it and banked it off the boards. Besser was right there, fires a shot, and it beats uh, the Colorado goalie up high. Um, that's that's the kind of plays that I'm expecting. You have a playmaker like Elias Peterson uh, making all those plays happen, and you have Besser as the finisher, the guy with the one-time shot, um, the guy with the wicked wrister, the solid release. Um, Vancouver doesn't have that type of goal scoring anywhere else. Besser is their Alex Ovechkin, and it's important to keep him in the fold. It's important that he wants to stay in Vancouver. He says he hopes this isn't the last contract that he signs with Vancouver. He hopes to sign a big one after this. Um, so it's important that he wants to be a part of the community for the long term, that he already is a part of the com uh, the community already. Um, and the fact that he believes in this group and he believes in Jim Benning's vision uh, to get this team back, back to the playoffs, um, it's, it's definitely great to be a Canucks fan with this signing. And um, I think if he's able to stay healthy, Besser can emerge as a 40-goal scorer, and north of $8 million is definitely possible. Yep. Um, but I think health and consistency are going to be key for Besser in order to make that happen. But I, I definitely think the best is yet to come. Yeah, I like this deal for Vancouver, as I've already mentioned. So uh, let's, let's get going here. Uh, Travis Konechny also re-signs uh, six years, $5.5 million annual average value this is another like good deal for the flyers um he's probably in their top six and um he's i i know you love him because he was a former ottawa 67 or he yep. he used to be an ottawa 67 um so i i still that that always remains in my mind whenever you uh, whenever we mention him but um yeah this this could be a, a good deal for them um as well he's a he's a good young player um he plays tough and all, all that stuff so I, I like this deal as well yeah uh, we talk about uh, his ohl career he was a number one overall pick in the ohl draft by ottawa i think it was 2013 when yep. it happened and um he gets 70 points in his first year with the team uh 29 goals and 68 points in his second year um, he splits his third year with Sarnia in Ottawa. He ends up getting 30 goals and 101 points there. Um, there was a playoff run he had with the 67s where he only played five games, but he still got three goals and 10 points. So even in a very short playoff series, he made his mark there. Um, this guy has speed, skill, broad talent, total package, top line threat every game he played. Um, he, could, he could do everything and he has definitely a lot of upside at the nhl level and i say that because when you look at the kind of numbers that he put up you, you may think well that's kind of underwhelming 
Um, he had 11 goals and 28 points his first year, 133 shots. That's pretty decent. He also had 92 hits uh, that year. Um, in year two, he gets um, an uptick in ice time, but not by much. Again, 97 hits, scores 24 goals and 47 points. He gets 177 shots that year, which is 44 more than his rookie year. And then you look at um, his third year in the NHL when he uh, posts, again, 24 goals, gets two more points to finish with 49, and he racks up 182 shots. His ice time in his first year was just over 14 minutes. His ice time in his third year was 15-16. So this guy isn't even playing 16 minutes a night. He's getting almost 200 shots on goal and could could be a guy that gets like 50 to 60 points if he's put in the right situation. And the fact of the matter is Travis Konechny, throughout all this time, while he has the potential to be a top-line player on the Flyers, hasn't been a top-line player. He's been a guy that's been on the second line, on the third line. Um, But he's gradually... He's gradually getting better. And I think the one concern that I have for Konechny is his consistency. Because in his second year, I believe uh, he had 15 points in his first 41 games his second year. In his final 40 games, he had 19 goals and 32 points. So it was just a matter of ironing out those inconsistencies and just consistently putting up good numbers. That's what he needs to work on. I think if you put Travis Konechny on the Flyers' top line, 70-plus points, 30-plus goals, I can definitely see it. Um, He's got the skills uh, to be a top-line player in this league. What I also think is important about Konechny's game that other teams probably can't stand, but the Flyers absolutely love, is he can piss you off. And and back to the stadium series game against Pittsburgh where he's, I believe he's chirping Jack Johnson. He's like, eat up, bud, eat up, bud. And he just keeps saying right. it to the point where Jake Gensel's heard very loudly going, bench, shut up. <laughs> he just gets under your skin. And that's something that I noticed that a lot of good players that have played for the Flyers, that's something that some of them can do very well is just really get under your nerves, can really be a nuisance. The fact that he can hit, the fact that he can score, the fact that he can rack up shots and do all this stuff kind of reminds me a lot of what Brendan Gallagher does for the Montreal Canadiens. And if Travis Konechny can elevate himself to that next level, pretty soon he could be the next Brad Marchand. Who really knows? But um, I definitely think this is an underrated signing that's going to look very good in a couple of years. Yeah, I mean, when you look at his stats, they don't look great, to be honest. Like, they're average, but um, at the same time, he is going to be 22 years old. So it's like, it's looking up for yeah. him. I, I I feel like 70 points may be too much, but I guess you're right. That is kind of his ceiling, though. Um, yeah. Okay, and then we go to our teams. This is going to be a Bruin Sen segment here. Because the both the Bruins lock up their defensemen, uh, long term, uh, some well, long term for you, but short term for me. Um, we talked a little bit about Charlie McAvoy last week, but we'll go more in depth, a little bit more in depth now, because we're still 
close for time, short for time here, but um, so Charlie McAvoy signs a 4.9 million annual average value uh, for three years, um, and uh, he's going to be an RFA in 2022, 2023. Um, so he's probably, if he continues on with this rate that he's going on, um, he'll probably, you know, deserve a pay rate. At pay raise at that time. However, what people aren't realizing is is uh, when Charlie McAvoy is going to be an RFA, uh, David Backus's contract, most importantly, is going to be off the books. David Krejci, although he is a very good player, his contract's going to be off the books. Patrice Bergeron's going to be a UFA at that time, so he's probably going to be, you may expect a little bit less at that time but we'll see because he's you know he's going to be like 37 at that point um yeah and uh tory krug's gonna be ufa next year kevin miller uh and chara are also going to be ufas next year as well um and uh kevin miller and chara like chara may retire kevin miller may be on long-term injured reserve for uh, for this season as well. So those those contracts may be off the books too. So that's like, you know, in three years time, like the, the Bruins are going to look very different uh, compared to what they look right now um, because of all those contracts that are going to be off the books. Oh, and Tuga Rass is also going to be UFA as well. So, yeah. um, so at that point, if Charlie Mac, like, like, yeah, I guess I would like to lock Charlie McAvoy up long-term would be ideal for your Bruins but at the same time it's not as bad as it could be because yeah he's gonna want a lot more um, in 2022 especially if he does what he what we know that he's capable of doing but at the same time it's something that we'll be able to afford um, if we if we manage all these other contracts just right so um, that will be the good goal to have. Um, having said that as well, Brandon Carlo signs the day after um, with 2.85 for two more years. Um, Brandon Carlo doesn't have a ton of offensive potential. I think he only had like one goal last year um, and, and all that stuff, but he's a great like shutdown guy. He's also only 22 years old. So, um, so that, that means that, he, you know, he's still pretty good in terms of age, um, and he's only going to get better. Um, he, you know, maybe he'll get some offensive potential and maybe that's when the, his contract will go up. But, um, but I, I do love that we're locking up McAvoy and Carlo, cause those are going to be a big part of our defensive core for a while, especially with Chara possibly retiring next year and Kevin Miller maybe uh, not being <laughs> as good as he, he once was uh, a couple of years ago. So um, just with injuries and all that stuff. So um, yeah, I, I, like, I like these two deals. What do you think of these two deals, especially with Charlie McAvoy? Because I, I didn't give you a chance to talk about them. Last, yeah, last week. The, the thing with the thing with the cap situation, you're right. There are a lot of those contracts that come yeah. off the books. But if you're going to bring back Rask and Krejci and Bergeron, how are those deals going to work out? Are they going to be even more expensive? I guess Bergeron maybe less so, but right. Krejci and Rask that'll be interesting. Well, the thing with um, the, oh, sorry, go on. 
But no, no, you're you're gonna say something. No, continue. Um, also, Charlie Coyle yeah. will be off the books too. But, true, yeah. true. That's another one. Yeah, I was just talking about like the big ones, but yeah, uh, the yeah. thing with the Krejci, Bergeron, and Rast deals is that they'll they're gonna be like 37 at, or 35 at this point if you're to Rask. So it's like, um, so you have to take age into account where they're all going to be much older than they are i mean yeah that's not great obviously because they're you know they're still part of our core and they may decline after a while but um but i think that's that i just wanted to put into effect that they'll probably want to resign those three guys in particular but maybe they you know maybe it's a good thing that they're not going to want raises in, in, instead yeah, true. And you also yeah. have the, to worry about the Marshawn extension. They'll probably course. come up a few years after that. So. Yeah. Well, Marshawn actually is our longest contract. He's, uh, he's, you don't have to worry about that. But Pasternak will be a UFA the next year after McAvoy. Yeah. So, yeah. Pa- and also, Pas- yeah. Sorry, go on. Pasternak and Marshawn, just, I'm just concerned about because of the cap hit. But yeah, yeah. Pasternak, I get more so than Marshawn. But you're right on McAvoy. There's definitely a lot of upside there. As a rookie, he had 32 points, um, second amongst Bruins defenders. Um, he had two power play goals, two game winners, seven goals overall. Um, that was still good enough to be tied with Chera for second on the team in goals by defensemen. So, like, they didn't really get a whole lot of goals uh, from the blue liners. Um, Tori Krug, understandably, played a lot of power play minutes, so... If you're wondering where all the power play minutes are right. for McAvoy, both of them went to Tory Krug. I believe Krug had like, um, I think 24 power play points that uh, that season when McAvoy was a rookie too. He had over a hundred minutes more than McAvoy on the power play. Yeah, um, he still does still, even last year. Yeah. Still, that being said, the fact that McAvoy gets 32 points despite that uh, lack yep. of power play success, you know, it's it's reassuring because he's doing most of the, his damage at even strength. Right. And his 77 shots were also fourth amongst Bruins' blue liners, and his time on ice per game overall was second. He was averaging 22 minutes just over that as a rookie, and he was hitting guys and blocking shots as well, and he did more of that in the second year too uh where he was just doing a little bit of everything and his average time on ice uh this time was tops on the bruins in his second year and so i i definitely think there's room for charlie mcavoy to improve the fact that krug and shara both play on the opposite side um uh, mcavoy is the clear number one on the bruins moving forward uh, on his side of uh, the blue line, at least. Um, one would argue, you know, depending on how the Krug uh, situation shapes up uh, in a, about 12 months' time, 10 or 12 months' time, um, that McAvoy might get even more power play minutes uh, by the time his uh, three-year deal expires. And uh, maybe then he really starts to see an uptick in his point production. But... I definitely think in the case of the other RFAs, the best is yet to come for McAvoy. Giveaways have been a bit of an issue, but when he had 44 giveaways as a rookie, Chera and Krug had 70-plus each. Yep. And uh, Pasternak and Marshawn had more giveaways than McAvoy did last year, and they're top-line players. So 
Um, you know, there's always room for improvement, but I think when I look at Charlie McAvoy moving forward, considering he hasn't really been healthy in each of his first two seasons, um, the potential for him to have a prosperous, productive year is definitely there. And it's just a matter of going out and showing to everybody that um, he can be just as good, if not better than, you know, some of the young defensemen that we see today, like Zach Rowensky, who, by yeah. the way, uh, you talk about bargains, McAvoy is making a hundred grand less per year than Zach Rowensky is True. on his bridge deal. So and a lot less than Provorov. It's actually cheaper than Rowensky, a lot cheaper than Provorov. Yep, for sure. So. All right, uh, let's go to um, your team, uh, mm-hmm. Thomas Shabbat. Uh, he made a huge deal uh, this year. It's a big, it's a good, very good sign um, in Ottawa. Would you say that this is the best news that's come out of Ottawa in the last two years? Uh, probably the best news uh, since they forced Game Seven against Pittsburgh. Oh wow! Okay, yeah, that's that's yeah. that was the last about two years ago. Yeah, so yeah. I guess that is true. All right, uh, so yeah, Thomas Shabbat gets an eight-year deal. Uh, I think it's like seven million, right? Um, it uh, it's eight by eight. Eight by eight. Okay, you can explain it because uh, it's your team. <laughs> yeah. What's interesting about the Tom Shabbat deal? I thought there'd be a lot of bonuses. There's actually zero bonus money. Yeah. Which is a pleasant surprise. Um, there are a lot of things that impressed me about this deal. Um, first off, he's the highest paid senator. This is, I think, the biggest term the franchise has handed out. Uh, the dollar figure is probably right up there as well. Um, entering next season, he'll be tied with Jacob Truba, Brent Burns, and John Carlson for the fifth highest cap hit of any league defenseman. Um, and not everyone's happy with that. I'll get back to that later, but I'll first get off to uh, his offensive stats and what he really does to benefit his team. So let's put this into perspective eric carlson just leaves the ottawa senators he's traded to the sharks they get a pretty big haul for him but with the departure of eric carlson leaves a big void in the senators blue line you have cody cc you have thomas shabbat you have mark borowiecki and everyone else so there's going to be a lot of room for a lot of mistakes on all fronts And Thomas Shabbat, with that defense, with that team, got 14 goals and 55 points in 70 games, ranking 8th in defenseman goals and 10th in defenseman points, respectively. His points per game rate of 0.79 was the 8th best amongst all blue liners. And the Sens, as a team, finished 17th in overall offense. This time around, he won't have Stone, he won't have Duchesne, he won't have DeSingle to work with, but let it be known that he only got a goal and 16 points on the power play, so he still did a fair bit of damage at 5-on-5. Five five. Um, and I don't think we're going to see a lot of regression from Shabbat um, as far as his output without Stone, without Duchesne, without DeSingle this year, because as a rookie... His 25 points 
with Carlson was was pretty decent, but he only averaged seventeen thirty one per game. Right. Last year he averaged twenty four seventeen. That's almost a full seven minute increase in a single season. And again, there was CC, there was Borowiecki, there was nobody else pretty much behind those guys. That's very little insulation to work with. And he still got fifty five points. He somehow still managed to block 112 shots, make 71 hits in the process. He had 185 shots a year after recording 94. Um, he had a lot of good puck possession numbers, too. He was seventh in the league per game in puck possession, third in zone exits per game, third in zone entries, 11th in scoring chances generated per game. That's amongst the league's best blue liners. And again, he did that on a god-awful Ottawa Senators team. And he was an all-star. Yes. So when I take a look at that and I take a look at his Corsi and all the good prospects that the Sens have coming up, and as good as Branstrom might be, as good as Jacob Bernard Docker might be someday, Thomas Shabbat is the guy that is going to be tasked with leading this franchise. And getting him on board is absolutely huge. And I say that on a number of reasons, not just from an organizational standpoint, but from a financial standpoint. Let's let's take a look at the cap kit here. So it's eight million. How significantly higher is that compared to what Spurgeon got? Not very. Like Spurgeon got almost like seven point six million, and he's the highest paid player in the Minnesota sure. Wild. You have a guy like Jacob Truba, who had his first fifty point season. He's been in the league longer than Shabbat of by a couple of years, and he got. 8 million per year with the Rangers. Um, Eric Carlson back in 2012 was given a cap hit, um, I think between six and 7 million. Back then he wasn't a Norris Trophy defender. He had the potential to be a Norris Trophy winner, but he wasn't back then. And I think the Sens signed this deal hoping the same thing would happen with Shabbat as it did with Derek Carlson. French Norris Trophy winner proves it throughout this deal and by the end of this deal it looks like a very big bargain yep. and I will say there was one critic that stood out where he uh, although he was happy for Shabbat getting his new contract Jeremy Roenick felt that back in the day you really had to earn that kind of money and nowadays it's just given to you and the owners and the GMs just hope it works out and he does have a point because you look at a guy like Joe Sackett who was just coming off his second Stanley Cup win with the Avs in 2001, had arguably the best offensive season of his career, arguably the best playoffs of his career, and only then he gets an AAV of $9.5 million. The market in 2001 is a lot different than it is in 2019. That's an 18-year difference. The days of what $9.5 million can get you in 2001 are far different than what it can get you today. Um, $8 million for Shabbat, when you consider what he could be is I would call it cheap. I would call 8 million for Thomas Shabbat very cheap. If he continues to elevate his game, yeah. if he continues to be the player that he is. And of course it's a risk when, when you give a player this amount of money, but the potential for this kid is just so astronomically high. The, the success that he had in junior uh, with team Canada with, um, with this, Last with the uh, 
with the St. John Sea Dogs. He had yeah. uh, some really good seasons there. I believe he was actually voted Team Canada's best player one sure. year at the World Juniors too. I think the bigger win is for the Ottawa Senators from an organizational standpoint because in 10 months from now, Thomas Shabbat would be a restricted free agent. And if I'm not mistaken, he'd have the potential to be offer sheeted by a lot of other teams. And I'm sure a lot of those other teams, with the help of the media, yep. know that there's doubt about Melnick's finances and how strong they are. Apparently, he's uh, there were um, there were, he tried to pay off a he tried to pay off some money at uh, the Mohegan Sun, a, a casino uh, place uh, in the yep. United States. He tried to pay off with some bank drafts, and apparently they bounced, and now he's been uh, taken to court over that. So what's stopping any of the other teams from giving Shabbat a massive offer sheet that could be out of the Sens ballpark? And even if the Sens match that, they might be committing more money than they might want to to a franchise player that could impact their cap down the road and who else they could afford to keep. So that's one thing. They avoid that headache. Secondly, and more importantly, this franchise has needed something good to happen. They needed to sign a pivotal piece to a long-term deal. And I love Colin White, but when I talk about pivotal pieces, the guys that come to mind are Drake Batherson, Brady Kachuk, and the guy they just signed, Thomas Shabbat. This doesn't take away from the last 18 months of suffering. It doesn't take away from the fact they traded Eric Carlson in the prime of his career. Doesn't take away from the fact they traded a legend in Mark Stone, who is going to be very, very good for Vegas for many, many years. Doesn't take away from the Tourist and Duchesne swap in which both players somehow ended up leaving Ottawa at one point or another. The fact is, before this signing, the morale of this fan base was as questionable as ever. Hadn't been this low in years. They needed something to get excited about. And the Sens need the faithful of the Canadian Tire Center involved. And you can lower ticket prices, lower concessions, lower parking, however many times you want. That might not do it for them. Keeping talent will. They kept this guy. They committed to him. They say he's in it for the long haul. The player agrees. The player had the option of waiting 10 months to gain a bit more leverage on his next deal. Didn't go down that route. He decided to commit. Positive message on all fronts. I am so glad the Sens made this happen before the season. And hopefully it means uh, bigger and brighter things for Thomas Shabbat because I think he has the makings of a star. Um, so you just went on a 10-minute, uh, I don't know, soliloquy on how much you love Thomas Shabbat. I didn't. I mean, I knew you you would say a lot on him, but I didn't expect like ten minutes out of it. Um, <laughs> ten minutes, so I'd probably five, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm just saying, just from a time perspective, we're past the two <laughs> two hour mark. It's just like I was just like going insane. I'm just like, all right, we get it. Shabbat is signed and all that stuff. Um, but no, I, I will say that you no, know, I I do like this signing, um, especially since you. I mean, I know if through you that you keep on saying like when you trade a guy like Eric Carlson, when you trade a guy like uh, Mark Stone, guys who have been in the pro, uh, you know the system for forever and then this is what you do which kind of like sends a message to 
guy like Brady Kachuk, Thomas Shabbat, and uh, Colin White and Drake Batherson that like, okay, this is what we're going to like, you know, this is like a farm system for, uh, for other teams basically. And, yeah, and this will happen to you in six or seven years yeah. when you want your money. Right. So, so this is, so this is like a good sign where it's like, okay, we're not like, this is actually, we're rebuilding for the future. And this is a good step for that. Of course, where you're locking up guys who are going to be a part of your core for, for a long time, not just right at this moment. Um, so I like that move. Uh, so having said that, um, if you stick with us, I applaud you guys. Um, we're on uh, our our Twitter is Lasem Podcast. Our Facebook is Lasem Up. Our um, you can catch us on Spotify, uh, SoundCloud. Um, and all that stuff um, as well. Um, yeah, I'm Brett Dubuff. I'm Steve Elsworth. We'll talk again when we talk about the Pacific Division in episode 186 of the Lace Up podcast.